Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here among us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. One of the very, very first times I walked across the campus of the University of Arizona, where I went to college, I saw some kind of welcoming festival that was happening. There were groups giving out all kinds of things, campus clubs, looking for members, booths and tents everywhere. But there were a couple of booths that had much bigger crowds than the other ones. These were the booths, and you'll remember this if you were ever a freshman in college, These were the booths giving out free t-shirts. You see, we were brand new students. I was as drawn to these t-shirts as anyone. We didn't have very much school gear yet. And these t-shirts had the Arizona Wildcat logo on them. We all felt we had to have one. And they were free. All you had to do was apply for a credit card. (laughs) This, of course, became a significant problem for many people. I personally had had... Uh, financial responsibility drilled into me from a very young age, but several of my classmates seemed to think that they were getting two free things at those booths, a free t-shirt and free money. And it came as a real shock to them a month later when their first credit card bill showed up in the mail. Turned out that the money wasn't free and actually the t-shirt wasn't free either. They both had a price, in some cases a hefty one. What seemed free at first actually wasn't. As they used to say in the 1930s, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And the idea, this idea that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch is a pretty simple one, right? It's just that even things that seem free have a cost attached. And not just a cost to someone, but a cost to you. Everything costs something. You always have to pay. The most common and oldest school way, of course, is that you pay with actual money in advance of getting something. You go to a store, actually even older school than that is trading. You give something and you get something back. You have to give before you get Of course, as my college classmates found out, there is another way to pay. Someone gives you the thing that you want, no money or trade needed, but then the credit card company comes calling in the end. So you're going to have to pay, whether it's before or after. But this idea that you have to give before you get or that someone is going to come calling in the end, the idea that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch doesn't always have to do with money. Think about it. There are things that you can get, things that you want. I'm thinking of things here like status, popularity, 
adoration, these things you can get that you don't have to pay money for, things that you don't have to swipe a credit card for, things for which you're not going to get a statement at the end of the month. But even for those things, we all know very well that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Because even if it's not about buying, it is about earning. It is about qualifying. You still have to give before you get promotions at work. Get given out to the people who have proven to the company that they're worth it. The ones who come in on the weekends. The ones who forsake friends and family. The ones who've proven themselves, qualified themselves, shown themselves to be worth it. Who have given something. The ones who give are the ones who get. The people who qualify are the ones who get rewarded. The people who have earned it. This is such an overriding truth that everything costs something that it shows up everywhere. We start to get inundated with this from the very earliest ages. I stood in front of my movie collection for 10 seconds and I saw Pinocchio has to be willing to give up his life for Geppetto before he qualifies to become a real boy. There's no such thing as a free lunch for Pinocchio. Then Atreyu, in the never-ending story, has to sacrifice his horse, Artax, in that swamp. Stop crying. I know you're all just about to cry. And then prove the purity of his heart at the Sphinx Gate in order to save Fantasia from the nothing. No free lunch for him, either. Every questing hero and every romantic partner in every story we've ever read or seen has to prove themselves worthy. There's no money involved, but they still have to give before they get. And we Christians, we think this way too. It's very easy to port this idea that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, that we're going to have to pay eventually over into our relationship with God. Now, Christ's saving work for sinners is advertised as free, right? That's why we call it good news. You need do nothing to deserve it. In fact, we claim that there is nothing you can do to deserve it. Christ comes specifically to the undeserving, to the ones who can't pay. You get, allegedly, without having to give. But doesn't it sound too good to be true? We tend to get worried, you and I, because it sounds like a free lunch. And we know, don't we? We've had it beaten into us that there ain't no such thing. Now, here's how it works. We hear the announcement of the gospel that Jesus's life and righteousness are yours for free. As St. Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And it sounds good. But some, when they hear this wonderful announcement, just cannot believe it. They reject it outright. They subconsciously assume that it's a lie. Things that sound too good to be true usually are. And we are all prone to this. We assume that this gift of God in Jesus Christ is actually not free 
that it's actually something we do have to pay for, that we have to earn. It's just that the costs are hidden. Many people assume that God won't give us his love, mercy, and affection unless we earn them first. We've got to give before we get. This is an ancient yet persistent heresy. Now, we don't live in the Middle Ages anymore, and we've seen charlatans exposed. So we don't usually think that we have to literally pay the church with money to please God and to get him to give us his good gifts. No, no, no. Nothing so worldly as that. Instead, we convince ourselves that we must become worthy, and then we get the benefits of God. This is the error of believing that we have to pay up front like a customer at a store. But there is another related and I think much more common mistake, especially that we Christians make. Like an overwhelming credit card statement, we suspect that the hidden costs of God's love are going to come back and bite us on the back end that the bill will eventually come due. Do you feel that? As though God's love was purchased on American Express and the bill will eventually come due. We are so sure that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch that we become actively suspicious even when someone else offers to pay. We think there must be a catch. God's love For free? Surely we think the news can't be that good. It must be true, we assume, that we now have to become the kind of people who earn their lunch, who earn God's love after the fact. Right? If we didn't earn what Jesus did for us beforehand... And most of us don't think that. Most of us secretly fear that we're going to, at some point, get called to account for what we do after. And so we continue, even after we've been given the free gift of God's grace in Christ, to try to pay it back, to become good enough, to deserve what we've been given. We're still proving ourselves day in and day out trying to pay, trying to earn, trying to qualify. And we are exhausted by it. That's the human life. And it is all too often the Christian life too, earning, paying, trying to deserve. That life is actually no life at all. That life is killing us. We are desperately and constantly on the lookout for anything that might qualify us, anything that we might be able to give that will make us worthy to receive. But we are sinners, and our God is holy, too holy, too good. His standard is too high. There is no level of moral goodness, no ability to pay, no threshold of deserving that will satisfy him and quiet our worried hearts. And so the struggle, the work is never ending. And so we, you and me and everyone else in the world, we are exhausted. This is our natural state. 
frantically running around trying to justify ourselves in God's sight, and permanently terrified that we haven't done enough. So we are constantly at work trying and permanently terrified that we have not done enough. When we say that our mission at this church is to proclaim Christ's finished work to a worn out world, this is why the world is worn out. Everyone in it, you, me, your co-workers, your family members, your friends, your enemies, everyone is trying to earn something every moment of their lives. We are all trying, consciously or subconsciously, to earn favor in the eyes of whatever it is we worship. Because we all think we have to give before we get. That we have to prove ourselves before we can receive. Or that we have to adequately pay God back for a gift that can never be repaid. His own son dying a criminal's death for you. It is into this worn out world, a world full of people desperate to pay or to pay back. It is into this world that Isaiah announces the coming of a suffering servant. The coming of such a servant assures us of two things. First, that our suspicions are at least in part true. There is definitely no such thing as a free lunch. Reconciliation with the Holy God comes at a heavy cost. But second, Isaiah assures us that this suffering servant is a savior sent from God who will bear that heavy cost himself. In the 53rd chapter of his prophecy, Isaiah tells us what this suffering servant is going to do. Surely, Isaiah preaches, he has borne our infirmities, carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah doesn't know the name of this Savior. This one who will heal the world by being bruised on its behalf. We just get this disembodied he. He has borne our infirmities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So we need to know who this is, right? Who is this him, this he? Who is this upon whom all your iniquity has been laid? Who is this who bore the punishment deserved by you? Whose sacrifice has made you whole? Well, before we get to who it is, we have good news about who it isn't. The best and most obvious thing about this is it's not you. Listen to more. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a relief. Did you hear that? This is a balm for the soul. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. There is one, the righteous one. We, the worn out by the never-ending quest to prove ourselves, to justify ourselves, to pay for ourselves, to save ourselves, we now can rest. Because Isaiah knows the truth, that we have nothing whatsoever to offer except iniquity and transgression, sin. But there is one, he promises, one righteous, one who is not you, one who will replace you in the role of Savior. And years later, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus of Nazareth makes the announcement that he is the one. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, God's suffering servant, is the Savior sent to redeem you, to ransom you, to pay the heavy price for you, reconciling you to God. And this is the community into which we welcome these newly baptized this morning. A community of the ransomed. A community of the reconciled. A community of those who no longer have to save themselves, but who have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And this welcoming ceremony that we did this morning with three splashes of water on the forehead, this ceremony really undersells what's going on. As I told all of our candidates, there's a reason that churches gather down at the river and put you all the way under the water. Because Jesus isn't merely throwing you out of the role of Savior in your life. He's putting the you who would play that role to death. In baptism, God is killing the one who has to give in order to receive. Whether on the front end or on the back end, whether you think you have to earn God's love before he gives it or become after receiving it, the kind of person who would have deserved it in the first place. God is putting that you to death all the way under the water. But then, hallelujah, we bring you back up again. That's why the sacrament of baptism is so powerful. That's why the church would gather down at the river. Because what we are celebrating here today is that these people have been buried with Christ in his death and then raised to new life in him. The you that was working to save yourself is dead. A new you saved by Jesus Christ is alive. And that's true for all of you gathered here this morning, too. 
So here, each one of you, the good news of Jesus Christ for you this morning. There is nothing you can do, nothing you could have done, nothing you ever will do that can merit this free gift. That you is dead. Salvation, reconciliation to a holy God, eternal life with him, it is yours for free. Now, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And though reconciliation with God is free to you, it was exceedingly costly to Jesus. He has borne your infirmities, carried your diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was wounded for your transgressions, crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made you whole. And by his bruises, you are healed. Jesus paid it all. So we can celebrate with these newly welcomed members into Christ's family. We'll reaffirm our faith. We did reaffirm our faith with them in the words of the creed. We'll feast at the Lord's table with them on Christ's body and blood, broken and shed for us. We are a family, a unique kind of family to be sure. One built not on shared qualifications, but on a shared savior. About 500 years before Jesus, as the Buddha lay dying, he told his followers to strive unceasingly. That ain't no free lunch. That's life in a worn out world. There is no relief there, no offering that can make you worthy. That's death with no escape. But as our Savior, the very Son of God, hung on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, his final announcement was, it is finished. That's not a free lunch either, but it is a price paid for you. A payment credited to you. A work completed. That is a death that accomplishes life. New, resurrected life in Jesus Christ. You are worthy on account of his offering. Righteous on account of his sacrifice. Alive on account of his death. Paid in full on his credit. The death of Christ has paid your price. It is finished. It is enough. Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.